everyone. Welcome to an all-new episode. It is Suiting Up Podcast Time, a show where I dive into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers, interviewing them and unpacking the psychology of their success. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, pro lacrosse player, media creator, and entrepreneur. And today's guest dominated Radio Row at Super Bowl this week with Uninterrupted and his new podcast called Tomahawk, co-hosted by Joe Thomas. Andrew Hawkins, known as Hawk, was a top slot receiver for the Cleveland Browns, having just retired this past season, actually on the roster of the New England Patriots. If you don't know who Hawk is, type in his name to YouTube and watch his one-on-one highlights against NFL cornerbacks, especially, actually, if you're a young athlete and want to emulate great Dodgers or route runners. Few do it better than Hawk. That said, his physical attributes and talent on field is only part of why he's a guest on our show. More impressively, Hawk spent most of his NFL career working on his skill on and off the field, but took it further than most. He got his master's from Columbia University in sports management while he was playing. So a grueling schedule with a family at home, round-trip flights to New York City every week, then back to the gym and field for practice and Sunday games. He's got an insane motor, and we talk about it. Today, he hosts ESPN's Sports Center show on Snapchat. He runs his own podcast, as I mentioned, and leads business development with Mav Carter and LeBron James Media Company Uninterrupted. His long-term goal, GM and NFL team. I think he'll be an owner one day. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Mattress Firm, where everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. Mattress Firm also adds to your stretch. Except it's through your dollar bill. Your budget stretched literally further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true home run, as they call it, and you'll have a ball. Or in lacrosse nomenclature, a natural hat trick, maybe, would be the correlation. Definitely an OT game winner, I think. Mattress Firm is the head coach when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this. They are more than just mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a full bed and bedroom from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback or the best short stick D midi on the team. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening as you listen to the sentence I'm speaking. They'll offer you 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Or again, a cross-check that's legal that led to a turnover heading down the other way for that OT game winner I just talked about. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Go for it. You you tweeted, I'm dropping crazy footwork drills in 2018. 218 is coming. So I started on a little bit of a YouTube rabbit hole and dynamite fast footwork drills on the agility ladder. Uh-huh. And then I listened to your podcast. You talk about, you're like, well, you know, it's, a li- light, it's slightly for show. Yeah. But then I pulled up a video on YouTube showing you do some one-on-ones. Yeah. And you're breaking people down. Yes. So, slightly for show, but also like... Oh, no, it's there. It's there. It's legit. It's not like... It's not fake footwork. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's tough because it's like... I always equate it to like animals, right? There's certain animals that have defense mechanisms and they adapt over time to, you know, whether that's... You're in the cold, polar bears have thick fur, right? Porcupines have spikes to defend themselves. Well, when you're a 5'7 receiver... Your footwork better be on point. Your yeah. agility better be on point. So that's like, that's my defense mechanism in the game of football. Was that part of nature more than nurture? Or is that something that you work on? Because I know repetition yeah. helps. Repetition helps for sure, but it's probably more nature than nurture. You know, and my thing is, and it's not like, you know, I talked about on, the, on, on my podcast about how the footwork drills are just for show. And it does look cool. And I understand that. But that's not something that I work on. You know what I mean? Not yeah. because you shouldn't work on it, because there's people who need to improve their footwork. But, you know, as an athlete, as a person in general, you should devote the most time working on the things that you are very bad at. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a pyramid. So the top of my pyramid is footwork, which means that's why it's the smallest, because it requires a less amount, the least amount of work. Mm-hmm. The bottom are the things that I need to work on. The bottom is making sure that I'm catching the ball as, as as much as I can because I have small hands, 
right? The bottom is, you know, making sure I'm separating on, on my route. So all the things that I need to work on the most, whether that's, whether that's in sports or in life, that's where I devote the most time and energy to. So that's what I was saying about the footwork. I don't need to work on footwork. I have footwork. I have yeah. some of the best footwork I've ever seen. Not not being in, like conceited about it. That's just my special feature. It, it's insane. Right? Yeah, we'll link to it in our show notes. But but my question then to follow up, because I have heard a lot of conversation. It's been really interesting lately more, 2016, 17. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a little bit about before we hit record about Gary Vee and like going long on your strengths. Yeah. Um, but I know that your footwork not only is a strength, but yeah. you're at the top of the game. Uh-huh. So do you think it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to leave that there because I'm in the 1% of the 1% yeah. and let me work on my hands versus maybe a younger kid out here, a younger athlete that has a strength like speed, kind uh-huh. of double or triple down on that? What would your advice be? You know, I, I would say you have to, whatever you do, that's what I tell young like receivers. And I always, I'm going to always say, say it back to life because I tell people that in the same way because I always equate you know sports and life. Whatever you're, you have to find out what you're great at. And whatever you're great at, be great at that. Right? That one thing um, you, is what you need to make sure that it's the first thing people see and it's the last thing on people's mind when you leave. Mm-hmm. Right? So when young receivers will come in the league, and this is, this is kind of how I switch my, my way of thinking because I, I was a big Kobe fan. And Kobe was, would talk about like when he got to the league, you know, it was somebody told him, like, just be you. With the great ones, everyone else adapts to your style. And they say your style is then great because, you know, when you're a short receiver like me, I'm looking at T.O.'s. I'm looking at Ocho Cinco's and yep. I'm looking at Jerry Rice's and all these big And I'm trying to do what they do, but that's not my thing. My thing is speed and quickness. So once I got it in my mind, like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. I'm going to run the routes these way, this way, the way you see on the, the, the YouTube video. I'm going to be quick. I'm going to just use my separation. And then the game will kind of shift to me. And that's exactly what happened. So now it's like people talk about my footwork and my routes. But when I was coming in, they that wasn't an attribute people were looking for. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? But the fact that I was able to do it, now that's what they think about when they think of me. And I tell big receivers, if you're a big, strong dude, make sure you're strong. Don't yeah. ever be out there trying to do footwork stuff. Yep. If you're a, a fast guy, don't be out there trying to be super physical. We want to see you fast. So, yes, your strength should be the top of your pyramid because that's what you're – that's what your ace and hole is. Do you think uh, sports, and we'll continue to look at football as uh-huh. an example, are really starting to parse out specialty, meaning you're either really fast or yeah. really big and strong because sometimes that gray area or the hybrid player just gets weeded out because yeah. he's not fast enough and he's not strong enough. Right. Or is there a spot for them too and it's kind of like... I think I think it's a mix. Football is unique and other sports... I mean, specialization is just happening, man, in everything because... Yeah. You know, with with more access, with more information, with more data, with more, with with the ability to be able to like high school sports. Like when I was in high school, we were like dubbing VCRs to send our highlight tapes out. Yep. And the coaches would have so many VC or like VHS, VHS tapes yeah. that they're like, "Man, you can only I'm gonna go just to these high schools because I know they always have good players." So guys are like slipping through the cracks. Now we have huddle. Huddle was like, you know, you're sending links yeah. online. and You worked at scout.com and rivals.com. Yes, too, right? I, I used to write for the recruiting sites, and I'm like a big recruiting buff. It's actually like something people don't know about me, that I like follow like recruits and who's the top guys. and you You're know, just fully immersed. I'm just in it, man. Yeah. Like from, and I can't get out of it no matter how, how much I try. <laughs> like I'll hit up high school kids like, yo, man, you're a baller. I'm like, what are you messaging me for? Yeah. But I'm just into it. But yeah, it's like, you know, the sport now is, yeah, specialization in the fact that, man, now we know what – you know, we can get in the slot receiver or outside guy and, and the jack of all trades, master of none to kind of get weeded out. You've said that, that football is the longest relationship you've ever had. Yes. And you talk a lot about the comparison between sport and life mm-hmm. and football being your platform. Right. We'll talk a little bit about your master's degree at Columbia and, and your internships while you were playing. Yeah. Recently retired. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about that too, but what's that feeling been like now that you are fully away from the field as a player yeah but still a part of the game and way of influence and creation well it's like you know my, I, right or wrong right wrong or indifferent i devoted my life to football at this point right like you know football isn't something for the most for most of us that doesn't happen when you're 21 doesn't happen when you're 17 like yeah. i've been in this since i was five years old like i knew what i wanted to do and i've been taking the steps towards that goal for 20 20 plus years Right. So it's me. This, this isn't something you just walk away from. So what I'm doing now in the media stuff and being connected and, 
you know, that's always going to be there because it's such a big part of my life. I owe so much to football. Yep. I wouldn't have my wife without football. I wouldn't have met her, which means I wouldn't have my kids. My best friends are football players who I've met along the journey. Yeah. Um, you know, my kids, my family is better off economically because of football. So I, it's a gift from, from God for me. Um, but as far as playing, you do move past that, you know, okay, this is probably the way I want to be connected to the game anymore. And being away from it for a season – to be honest, man, it wasn't. That's how I know I, I left at the right time. I probably stayed a little longer than I should have. Because you feel good about it. I feel great about it, man. I feel great about the new challenges. I feel great about where I'm at in life. I feel great about my body not hurting. I feel like I don't watch the games and say, man, I wish I was out there. I watch the games now and I enjoy it. Like I enjoy being yeah. a fan again. You, you had know, a, you had a bunch of injuries. Right? Yeah. What What's that like? I mean, having gone through them later in my career than uh -huh. most but foot-based midsection yeah but you had back injuries oh yeah ankle injury other extremities concussions yeah crack ribs broken ankles three yeah. times torn yeah. ligaments you name it amidst the challenges of, of making a roster mm -hmm. it, your your mental approach to injuries which i get a lot of inbound you probably do from younger athletes mm -hmm. like, how do i respond to this having done it a bunch yeah what would your advice be? You know, the, the situation is different. You know, and I'm not going to say my philosophy is right, because honestly, if, you know, for being honest, it's probably not. But it is a, it is a juggling act. For yeah. a guy like me who comes to the league through the back door, I have to be Iron Man. I have to, mm -hmm. you, you can't make the club in the tub, so I have to not show any signs of weakness. I have to be an available player. Availability is sometimes better than ability, you know, so... And in that respect, when I'm in that section and my ankle hurts or my, or my hamstring is this, like I can remember when in my first year with the Bengals, I was there three days and I was playing really well and then I pulled my hamstring. Yep. A hamstring, for people who don't know, is like a, at least a three-week injury probably, right? Two and a half, three weeks, at sometimes least. four weeks, five weeks. on how quickly you heal. Exactly. And I can remember like me thinking like man this is my only opportunity and I'm going to lose it to a hamstring. I was I came back from a hamstring in 5 days. Yeah. I kid you not, trainers will attest to it. And some of it was like I don't know if I was all the way back, but I know I wasn't going to miss this opportunity because of a hamstring. You can cut the hamstring off. You yeah. know, and that's the situation now 6 years into the league after a contract. Yeah, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to get my hamstring right. I'll come back in 3 weeks and and be fully healed. So, there's really no right or wrong answer how to handle it. Um but that's professional football. Yeah, do you think as you as you got older, slightly more mature when it mm -hmm. relates to your body, a lot of it having to do with leverage on your security of the team that you're on and the contract that you have, but yeah. knowing that, okay, I'm gonna take this risk on this injury, it could compound and and become worse. But right. in sports, you don't really have a choice. You don't really have a choice, man. And yeah. that's, that, that honestly, that played into my decision to retire, not because I was scared, but yes, you start to weigh it. Like early on in your career, the, the opportunity is bigger than whatever injury or prospects of uh, hurt that you're going to feel later on in life. Like, it's worth it. Yeah. As you get older, and, you know, I started getting the concussions. I, I had two concussions in one season, and then I played the next year with no injuries. But then it was like, man, I'm going to want to play basketball with my son in 20 years, right? And I'm going to want to, A, remember it. I'm going to want to, you know, my knees not to hurt. I'm going to want to be able to, to run with them, run routes with them, play in the backyard. And then that becomes you know, more valuable to you than whatever the money is, whatever the situation. And whenever you start thinking like that, man, football is a game that you can't think about, man. It's a it's, physical game. It's a warrior's game, man. So once you start having those conversations with yourself, once you start thinking about it at that level, like, eh, do I want to go in there and get hit yeah. by uh, Luke Keekley? Yeah. Whenever you start thinking about it, you lost. Because early on, I didn't care. Ray Lewis, James yeah. Harrison, Bring it on. You hit me, I'm, I'm going to be out a week, and, I, and I'll That's see you the hit. next time around. Yeah. You know, but as, later on, it was kind of like, yeah. I got to think that what made it perhaps a little bit more difficult retiring this season, and I was over here pulling for you because I'm a Pats fan, yeah. big Bill Belichick guy. But with your skill set, we started this show with with footwork uh -huh. and you your ability to break down, especially in the slot and on the outside. Like, yes. Man, the Patriots. Right. Yeah, you'd have you'd have had a hell of a season. I know, man. I know. <laughs> but but is that kind of like, hey, this outweighed the other? But I'm sure that had a little bit to do with like holding you. I know you did OTAs yeah. and stuff. I, I mean, it's like this. So you know, I, I signed. So my original plan was to retire. Honestly, after 2015, I almost retired. Okay. Um, and I stuck around another season. Was going to retire again, and then I said, you know what? 
we had a couple of rough years, obviously, here in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, maybe it's the environment. I, I just didn't want to, because football is not something you can come back to. There's no, there's no redo. You're not going to be 30 years old. You're not going to be 28 anymore. Mm-hmm. So you got you to gotta get it all in now, and you got to make sure that you're ready for that. So my thought process was maybe the environment in Cleveland is starting to drain me a little bit of the love of the game, right? And my body was feeling, it was feeling pretty good after 2016, better than I thought it would. Hmm. So I ended up signing with the Patriots, or, or my plan was to go to a contender, and I told the Browns that, and they agreed to let me go. So I signed with the Patriots, the ultimate contender, right? So mm-hmm. my thought process was, if I can't love it here with, obviously, every year, um, the ability to win a Super Bowl, if that's not going to drive me into it, then I probably don't have it anymore, right? And so I went there, and... Honestly, the, the opportunity for me wasn't even the Super Bowl. In my mindset, it was, yo, I get to get a peek behind Bill Belichick and the Tom Brady operation. And for a guy that wants to eventually work in a front office, yep. like that was invaluable to me. Like I just wanted to hear yep. the dude talk. I wanted to he- see Tom Brady practice. I wanted to see what the machine was like yep. behind closed doors. So that was honestly the, the, the real reason why I wanted to go to the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. But then just... when I got there, you know, my... Like OTAs went great. My body was feeling great. I, I think from what I was heard heard from the Patriots coaches staff, I was even quicker and faster than they thought I would be at 31 yep. years old. And they were like really excited about it. But then my knees started bothering me over the summer. And usually mm-hmm. going into camp, my body like would usually have a way of correcting itself, right? Like my ankles would hurt, my knees would hurt or whatever. And then July 15-ish would come around and it just wouldn't hurt anymore. Almost like my body knew like, okay, yep. time to go to work. Yeah, but then this year it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It did the opposite. My knee started hurting more. Yeah, and my ankle started hurting more. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I just took it as a sign and made the call, man. Did Hung your, them up. Did your time with those guys register the way that you had hoped to, and your conquest behind the scenes of learning more and yes. ultimately being a GM or a team owner one day? Yes, it was. It was a very deep confirmation for me of like, okay, this is the way it's supposed to run, and this is why they're successful. And you understand, like the level of focus and how linear the, the organization is towards one goal, which is winning, yep. you know? And it was like, okay, I, my assumptions were right. Like, this is the right way to do it. Yeah. So I'm going to do my best here to to backtrack because your story is so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. When I originally created the show, it was around speaking to the modern day athlete, the yeah. athlete entrepreneur, which mm-hmm. you are. And, and we'll talk about that, but that's happened later. Yeah. What, what I got when I looked into your career and who you are as a person and read about you and your, through your interviews and video is this resiliency. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about it a little bit with the Browns and then uh, the Lions previous to that. But, but your story, you mentioned your size mm-hmm. um, in the NFL, relatively smaller. Right. Um, went to high school, played, played both ways, went to Toledo. First, time, first player in a long time to play both ways. They're undrafted. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, then you went to the Detroit Lions as a part-time intern on their scout team. Mm -hmm. Then you were offered a full-time intern role, which I didn't know much about the dynamics of internships in the NFL, but Uh it seems to be like a full-time. I was like, full-time intern? That just sounds like an employee. employee So anyway, that aside, (laughs) full-time intern. Then you went to the CFL, won Uh back-to-back Grey Cups, Mm -hmm. which was an accomplishment unto itself. Then Michael Irvin's reality show. Reality show was first. So when reality show, reality show, then, then CFL. Yep. Okay, so reality show came in second. CFL. Uh-huh. Then got a tryout in the NFL. Got cut. Then made a team. Then got a big contract after your success in the NFL. Yep. Then, then the, so on and so forth. And then, a, you know, probably was it was it in your time in Cleveland? You say, hey, okay, here's this platform and going back to your sport and life. Uh huh. Let me build for a career after sport, and rather than waiting till I retire, let's start now. So you're taking yep. back and forth flights from Tampa uh, up to Columbia mm-hmm. in the off season, take classes, get your master's degree in in uh, sports management. Yep. And so all of this is like, how's this guy doing it? <laughs> so I wanted to start by uh, what characteristics do you think you have that make you move the way that you do? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. And people usually ask me that. And I, I really, the answer changes every time. But I'm like, I feel like more than anything, it, it's like a play of my story. My story, and it's weird because I, I would I would normally say that I don't care what people say and the, the nose and everything didn't affect me. But in actuality, it did. Like, so those, the people on the outside that I say I don't care about their opinion, their opinion actually shaped who I am. 
because early on, like my entire life now, a little more background, my brother played in the NFL for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So usually if you play in the NFL, you are a superstar from literally probably 11 years old. You're always the best athlete, right? So you were the best football player in your middle school team, your high school team, your college team, and that's how you make it to the NFL. Like, yep. So it's not new. So my, I was the younger brother of that, of a guy who was a superstar my entire life. So what that does for his 5'7 little brother is I'm an afterthought. Hmm. Like I can't do it because lightning doesn't strike twice, right? And it's like everyone would tell me what I couldn't do because I was smaller. And, you know, and after a while, very quickly as a, as a young kid, when people always telling me and putting limitations on me, I stopped listening to what people say. Like so people's, people's opinions – no longer matter to me. Yep. Right. So in that respect, I didn't care what they said because their opinion no longer matter. But it happens on both sides. When what I realized after they told me that I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that, and not only did I accomplish that, I took it further than even I thought was possible. And then the same people or similar people now pat you on the back and say, "Man, you did great. Like this is a great job. I can't believe you're doing this. This is cool." Well, now still in my mind, it doesn't matter what they say. So it's almost like I'm never satisfied. And it's like I'm always chasing yeah. a different level if it's there. I feel like we hopefully at some point move on from others' opinions mattering. But yes. that prove people wrong is mm -hmm. a big thing in sports that we all face. And even I think the top talent that is the number one recruit in high school, the uh -huh. number one draft pick, they're continually beating uh, or getting beaten down by, well, when have you won a championship? Take yep. LeBron James, for LeBron's example. Constantly, example. constant example of that. Um, but then you get to a place where you hopefully shed that insecurity because uh -huh. it's really deep-rooted. Mm -hmm. And what do other people think of me? And you move on to a more peaceful, calm state of being. Yeah. Your relationship with your brother, did uh -huh. he make it difficult for you? Was he inviting? Was he trying to help you? No, he was. He was like one of my biggest cheerleaders. But who, yeah. what, I mean, most brothers are going to, you know, cheerlead for the little brother. And it wasn't just me. It was all my brothers. It was my sister's cheerleader. You know, yeah. it was like my family was all in. So they were supportive. They were very supportive. I mean, I, I, again, I don't think anybody, myself included, thought that I would take it to the level that I did, yep. especially under some of the circumstances I was in when I was like living on someone's couch after college for a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm still working out every day. And they're like, yo, what are you doing? Get a job. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is going to happen. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to work towards it. And it didn't make sense to anybody, myself included. And I felt like I was going crazy. But they were still very supportive of whatever I was doing. On Suiting Up Podcast, we like to remain gender agnostic. We talk to both women and men, athletes, entrepreneurs alike. And we also work with advertisers to provide specific gender-based product and delivery services. And today's show is sponsored by FabFitFun, which is a full-size premium products subscription-based service. And their spring 2018 box is now on presale, which means the items in the spring box are still a mystery, but we have two spoiler items that I get to share with you right now. Number one is a clutch that comes in three reversible colors. And number two is a lip statement palette, which has 11 shades of colors and a tinted topper. So all the women out there can mix and experiment with your own color combos. Now, why FabFitFun is great. Full-size products. So there's no samples that you get in some of the competitive lines. It's cutting-edge products in every category. It's not just beauty. It's fantastic value. Many products, individual value is more than the entire cost of the box itself. There's never repeat products. Always new, always fresh. And it's delivered four times a year for just $49.99 a box. Now, if you sign up for FabFitFun today... You can get your spring box, but not have to wait for the FabFitFun spring box because it's limited supply and these boxes tend to always sell out. So you can use my code and get $10 off your first box, which is $49.99 typically, by going to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code PAUL to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only now $39.99 at FabFitFun.com. Use my code PAUL to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. What about the humility of being able to take an intern position with the Detroit Lions after you were undrafted <clears throat> and to be able to like go on the field and look at your peers but also think, I should be out here playing? Yeah, it was, it was great for me. How did you process that? Well, it was like my, my goal, and again, this is like everything is kind of shaped and intertwined. So as my brother was a superstar, my thought process as a young kid was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll be a general manager. That way 
I don't have to worry if somebody picks me. I'll pick the whole team. Mm. So that was my goal. So once college happened and it looked like, okay, my football career was over, I'm like, I got to still start making strides. And even in college, I was sending emails out. I would email player personnel directors and, and general managers. And when I got done, I got an email back from the Lions for an internship. And I went in there. And this is after I think I tried out with the Browns months earlier and, and didn't get signed. I should have gotten signed, but I didn't. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm interning. But that's where like the awakening happened for me because I'm watching practice. And I'm a very self-aware person. Everybody, most athletes are very confident. And they might say, oh, I'm better than this guy, better than that guy. And that's just kind of like how they are. I'm not that kind of guy. I will see a guy and I say, yo, he's better than me. Or he has more ability than me. Or he's mm-hmm. better at this than me. I'm very self-aware. And to the point of like, you know, people always tell me I'm too modest in those situations because I don't give myself enough credit. But in this situation, I'm watching the receivers practice. And I'm like, with the exception of Calvin Johnson, I can play with anybody else that's in here. Mm-hmm. And after seeing that up close, it kind of awakened that that football spirit in me like okay and that's why i turned the, the long-term internship down which they said typically turns into a full-time job because i was like nah man i i just got to figure out figure out a way in but i know i can play but i didn't do it in detroit i didn't ask them for a tryout yeah. i didn't ask them to play because it wasn't it wasn't the place for that what's your self-talk typically like and another example of this where i'm, where I'm reading and i'm like geez how's this guy doing this but you you get a you get a look at training camp with the Bengals uh-huh. and they don't have any extra room so you stay in Marvin Lewis's suite, <laughs> right? And yep. you're like for me, I I had for a long time really bad self talk. Yeah, everyone's thinking about me. I'm not ready for this. Yeah, I'm with the coach. What do they think? What does he think? I'm not good enough. Yeah. What kind of stuff have you done? Obviously, it, to me, it feels on top of resilience is patience is a big one. But yeah, I'm actually probably more of a negative thinker than I should be. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. I'm not a fan of surprises. Why does this guy do this? Yeah, like I don't like. Like my wife couldn't throw me a surprise birthday party because I don't like. I don't like not understanding the circumstances of what's going on. So when you talk about self talk, I do think of the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and as a way of preparation, like okay, if this happens, this is how I would feel. This would be the result. Am I okay with that? I am. Get my mind ready for it, and then. I prepare for that, but I also I'm shooting shooting for the moon. And in my in my mind, it's me preventing it by thinking like it doesn't it won't sneak up on me then. Yeah. So when I was with the Bengals and and, and Marvin was my my roommate, I had just gotten cut in three days three days earlier. I got cut by the by the Rams in 24 hours. I drove 13 hours to camp, had one practice, and they cut me, and I drove 13 hours home. So at that point, my mind's my mindset was a little different. I had my first son on the way. Yeah. I I didn't think I was going to get the Bengals opportunity when they picked me up. I thought I was going back to Canada. So at this time, it was like, oh, man. like Were you guys living in Canada? No, we weren't living in Canada. We were in the States. But the it States, was like, yeah. you know, this was my opportunity for the league, and I didn't want to I didn't want to ruin it. And What was that coach's meeting like with the Rams? When you, did... <laughs> I can remember I practiced the one day. Um it was a lockout year, so I didn't have an off season to learn the offense or anything like that. So it was it was like all new to me. And Josh McDaniels was actually the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And I can remember the first practice I tried to introduce myself and he was kinda like, Yeah, whatever. Not like in a bad way, it's just yeah. like we're in a scramble mode. I don't got time to be hmm. you know, whatever. So I go to that practice and then I'm like, you know what? The next day I woke up at like four thirty AM. We had to be there at, at eight. I drove the car to the facility and I sat in the parking lot and I just went over my plays. For like three hours, right? So after like three hours of going over my plays, it was time to walk in. I'm like, all right, here we go. Day two. Mm-hmm. I walk in. There's a guy waiting there behind the door. He's like, hey, you Andrew Hawkins? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. You, you know, how you doing? Good to meet you. Good yeah. to be here, man. I'm excited about the opportunity. He's like, yeah, you got your playbook with you? I'm like, yeah. Okay, follow me. So we follow him upstairs. I'm like, and you know, when they ask for the playbook, you That's know what's right. going on. And I'm like, a part of me was like, it's only been a day. There's no way. This is what I think it is. Right. We got up there and, and the guy was like hey, yeah, we're going to give you the opportunity to catch on with somebody else. I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks for mm. that opportunity. Yeah. And just like that, it was over, man. So I'm thinking in my mind, like I spent my whole life trying to get that contract, and it lasted and it lasted for 24 hours. Yeah. Like that was like, that was one of the low points for me. And then you rebound. Yeah. And then you're with Marvin Lewis. Yes. And I, I, I've met Marvin a few times uh-huh. through his previous roots in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And that being a lacrosse centric area, yep. he's a really good guy. Yes, 
hearing the balance of, of the different people that you've run up against in the sport, interactions, kind mm-hmm. of methodologies of teams, they change on a team-to-team basis. Was yep. this experience now with the Bengals more like, hey, let's let's talk. How are you doing? Yeah. Someone maybe more interested in, in, in taking that introduction and be like, oh, okay, Andrew, tell me about yourself. Or nope. is it just cutthroat? It's cutthroat. It's yeah. that's just, that's just the way it is. The, the reason why me and Marvin mesh so well, Marvin is a man of like little words. He's not like, I mean, he, he talks to people, don't get me wrong, but in the football setting, mm-hmm. he wants it to be about business. I am, I am very much that way. People will tell you that, you know, for the first year of anywhere I play, I don't speak much because I, I want you to know that I'm here to do a job and that's the most important thing to me. So in Cincinnati, like I said, after I got cut and it was like my now I had nothing to lose. So I was emptying the tank every day mm. and through all the camp and I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't rah-rah. I wasn't, you know, kissing coaches butt to try to get in with anybody. I was just going just out playing. there, playing my hardest and doing my job. And that that lasted for three years. And that's why me and Marvin went so well. Cause, you know, and he even told me he respected the fact that Look, I didn't say anything. I wasn't selling high, selling anything. I was just coming there, giving literally everything that I had every day and going home. And he appreciated that. It's probably because the NFL career is fleeting by nature that you have to pull the emotion out of it. You have to Mm -hmm. be really unemotional. Yes. Yeah, I I take that from... Or use it to your advantage. To your advantage. Yes. Yeah, and I I guess if, if you look at your time on teams, whether it was Detroit... Um, as an intern, mm-hmm. is it one in sixteen or zero in sixteen? Zero in sixteen, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. And then, and then with the Browns, you were one in sixteen one year. Yeah, one in fifteen. One in fifteen. Yep. And and my question is, as hearing you on your on your podcast with Joe Thomas, which is great, called Tomahawk, mm-hmm. you, uh, you you say that. Shut this thing down. Yep. You said that um, there's nothing worse in football than being on a team or on a sideline where you feel like you're going to lose. Yes. How is that? How is that dynamic? I've felt that before. Yeah. Is there any salve for it? Is there any way to change that or solve it? I don't know, man. I know I didn't have the tools to solve it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Me personally and just the way that I'm wired, I guess. Um, Because like you said, I I did draw heavy on emotion. And like we as people, we cling to hope. Yeah. And things go bad when you lose that hope and football is no different so in football in the games and even if you know your record might not be that great like you still have the hope of like man we can still pull this out if we do this this and this or if i come out here and i and i have eight catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns i might be able to put this team in position to win and you cling to that hope and so when it got to the point where it was like yo we're not gonna win this game yeah there was like a that was something i wasn't prepared for Hmm. it wasn't something that i like premeditated it was just like i kind of looked around and looked at us and after like the string of games that had already happened in the season and understanding what kind of team we were now intently i was like man this is this ain't for me man i can't i can't do this anymore as a future gm how do you approach that then right i'm sure you've thought about it yeah if we have this kind of culture that isn't producing wins or confidence in wins yeah what do we do just mix it up you pull the coach well i don't know if it's a coach because it was like it wasn't so much like a culture that we were going to lose. We were like, it was like, I felt like we were playing. I was on a college football team playing against Terrell Suggs. You know what I mean? Playing against Cam Newton, <laughs> playing against like yeah. these grown men because we were going to games. There's 53 men on the roster. One game we had 30 plus rookies on a team. So you essentially have 30 guys who were playing college football the year before. You know, I think for, uh, to give you an illustration, this, the Bengals and the Steelers, maybe Steelers had like four, right? Yeah. The Patriots had like three on the active roster. We had 30 plus. Yeah. So you're essentially like you're playing like they say, oh, can this college football team contend with the worst NFL team? Well, that's what we were. We were half. And it's just we did not have the firepower yeah. to win the game. So it wasn't so much a culture. Because culturally, like in the locker room that year, even though we were one in 15, it was, it, was, great. it was great. Like, mm. you know, young guys, because they don't know any better. Yep. Like, usually when you're a veteran team and you get to week 13, and if you have 13 losses, even if you even if you had seven losses, eight losses in week 13, like, veterans know, like, oh, this season is a wrap. There's nothing that can come. Like, we're not going to the playoffs. Now it becomes personal game. I got to get my stats or whatever. And the culture changes because you understand you're not going to the postseason. Yeah. 
30 plus rookies don't know that. All they know is, hey, we just come out here, we work hard every week. So all the way up until week 17, them guys were giving it all they got in practice and meetings or whatever. It's just that we were we were outmatched. What about that game where you were outmatched and you were on a team that had the biggest deficit at halftime to yeah. come back and win? Browns over the Titans. Yep. How does that happen then? See, that was like a that was like a completely different to team, three, right? So that was like a which, that, by the way, was that the halftime score of the Super Bowl? The twenty eight. Was it were the Falcons up twenty eight three? It might have. Yeah, it they were. Been. So they we tied. Were the, That's insane. We that were the original twenty eight three. The OG twenty eight. Wow, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but yeah, like I think more. I think that team was just a better team than people thought. To be honest, mm-hmm. we didn't start fast, but even that year, we ended up. We started off seven and four. And then some things happened that went haywire that, you know, some decisions were made and, you know, situations happened. But I, th- I felt like that was that was just a good team. It was a good team. It was a better team. And it should have the results should have been better by the end of the year. What do you do at halftime when you're down 28 three and you reflect on a team that came out and, and win? See, that's what like when you when you get in that state of nothing to lose. Yeah, that's when you know who somebody is. Like I have three kids and. I scare them, right? It's like my thing as a dad. It's a real dad thing to do. I jump out from behind corners. And my oldest son, like when I jump out at him, he like like freezes. Like, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and that's what he does. Like when his back's against the wall, he's, a, he's freezing. So I got to get him out of that. My second daughter, I have twin two-year-old girls. One of them, when I jump out at her, she, her thing is she acts like, she's, I know she's scared, but she doesn't show it. Yep. So I'll jump out and she, I can tell because I know her. She's acting like it doesn't affect her, and she just keeps walking. And then my third daughter, <laughs> when I jump out at her, she throws two punches every single time. Oh, boom, boom. So as soon as she's scared, she just, boom, boom, just throws her left, <laughs> right. Right? And it, that's what I equate, like, having your back against the wall to. You have to do, like, some people freeze up. Some people act, you know, yep. steady. And then there's fighters. Yep. So that team, the 28-3 team, when we had nothing to lose, it was just a fighting team because there was that was like one of three games where we came back from twenty plus points to make it a game at halftime. Yeah. What 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 do you think about people that say that uh, there are certain leaders who talk too much or talk mm-hmm. is cheap? And yeah. in those situations, act, action really matters. Yeah. It, and and then the second part to that are uh, how do how would you define yourself as a leader vocally and, and or or a leader by action? Yeah, I was never like a vocal guy. Yeah, I wasn't a vocal guy. I was a come to work. Every single day, and you're going to get the same person. Whether we're zero and 16, 16 and zero, whether we're in Cleveland, Montreal, Detroit, Cincinnati, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the same guy. Like you won't be able to find a teammate or a coach of mine to say, "Hawk never." There was a day I remember where Hawk didn't work hard, mm-hmm. and that that was my calling card. And that was and, and I wasn't trying to do it from a leadership standpoint. It's just who I am. So sometimes I would be dubbed a leader for that reason because people could point to it and be like, "Man, we got to get." A lot of guys on this same page. Now, I'm not saying I'm the best. That was that was my thing because I'm not the best because I'm not AJ Green and Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I can tell you what Julio you're not Jones. gonna you're not gonna have to worry about me working hard. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. not gonna have to worry about me coming out here BSing or doing like that's never gonna be a problem. Your only problem with me is gonna be the fact that I'm five seven and I'm gonna make sure that. Yep. You know, so the vocal leaders, I don't mind vocal leaders if the action if there's no action, you're not a leader to me. And yep. I've I've had leaders that way. I've had captains that way who were all talk and you know when the cameras around or the coaches around Hmm. it's rah 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 you know but when it was time to throw a punch you know they wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fright (laughs) you know what i'm saying so talk about your work ethic so so a a specific workout what are some of going back even to that first footwork conversation we had to start the pod Mm -hmm. what what is a favorite routine that you like to do i mean it all depends it all depends on the time of year what i'm trying to get ready for if i'm getting ready for a season like sometimes like when I work out, there's no there's no chill. You know what I'm saying? Like I go just I just run till I throw up. Damn. You know what I'm saying? I'm like that kind of guy. Yeah. Like, cause I don't I never know what's enough. Cause it's like in my mind, if I do twenty, if I do twenty one tens, yeah. If I'm still if I haven't thrown up or if I don't feel fatigued, I'm like, okay, I got five more in me. And then I might be done after two, and I'm like, okay, I'm done after two. Somebody else has, is doing 25, so I got to do three more. Yep. And then I just keep going, and it ends up where I do 24 and a half, and I lay in the field for an hour and throw up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm that kind of guy. Are you talking about hundreds? Yeah. 100 yards? Yep. Yeah. How much rest do you give in between those? It depends. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean. Like, if, 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 our, if our run test is 20, 21 10-yard sprints with 
25 seconds or 20 re- seconds rest in between, I will, like when I prepare, I'll run 110, hit the line, and just keep going. Yep. And I'll just do that with no rest yeah. until I'm dead. So that might last for 11. Yeah. If I'm in shape, it might last till 23. But then I don't got to worry about it. You what, know what I mean? What about like trap bar deadlifts or uh-huh. a specific lift that you found was helpful for you in overall strength or speed build out? Strength or speed build out. Um, power cleans. Like I, I wasn't a power lifter. Like from where I come from, back of Pennsylvania, we just weren't advanced. So I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get into power lift until after college. Yeah, you and I are same age, man. We we, I, we didn't lift in high school. Yeah. So like when you when you like come to it, you're like, yo, I've been missing. Like imagine if I would have had all this information 15 years earlier. So mm-hmm. once I got to power cleans, man, my explosion kind of kind of took off. I, I was the guy who got faster in college than he was in high school, faster in the pros than he was in college. Like if you look at my pro stats. They're better than my high school stats mm-hmm. and my college stats combined. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Because I just kind of gradually continued to get better and as more information was available to me. So power cleans were like huge for me. More information, athletic peak happens mid-20s, late 20s. Yep. And then you have the experience curve. A lot of people think that guys and gals are at their peak out of college and a lot of it in niche sports. Right. But that's why you see in football and basketball even too, you know, you have folks coming from schools you may not have paid attention to, yep. but they have that drive. Yep. What about nutrition and sleep? I could do better. You could do better. <laughs> well, well, sleep, you know, you talk about those 20-hour days you were putting in while you were yeah. playing and studying for your master's. So I, I probably should do better with sleep now. When I was playing, I got a lot of sleep because I was, a, again, I was a guy that if I went to practice next day and I had a bad practice, I would be upset at myself for not getting sleep. So I was like an in-bed-at-10-o'clock guy every night while I was playing. Yeah. Now that I'm not, I, like, make my days longer but I only sleep in five hours. It's not great for my body. Right. You know, but I'm like, I'm operating with an extra day a week. How many hours of sleep were you trying to get when you were playing? Eight? More? Less? Probably nine. Nine, yeah. Yeah, probably And you can nine. feel it. It makes a difference. Oh, yeah. Big difference. Yeah, I had this cold earlier this week, and I get nine hours of sleep, and I'm done. Yeah. Better. See? Feel better just like me. that. Yeah. There's guys that can operate. Like, I, I just wasn't that kind of player. There's there's people, I, I players I know. I mean, listen, healing a hamstring in five days, you're one of those guys, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I, I know guys that are up playing Call of Duty all night and then come in That's playing right. at a Pro Bowl level. And I'm like, geez, how do you do that? What about nutrition? I was a, a big McDonald's pizza guy. I grew up under Ocho Cinco, man. That was the guy I looked up to as a kid. Yeah. So he was preaching McDonald's. He so I'm was like, preaching yeah, it. I'm all in on that. I yeah. like that idea. Yeah, yeah. Work hard, really work out really hard, need McDonald's. <laughs> so yeah. Any of that change now or yeah, yeah it has to. Yeah. It has to because I'm no longer in that yeah. you know, that world of, you know, being fit no matter what. And you know, so I mean even from health purposes, I'm thirty two now, going yeah. on thirty two. So yeah, I gotta I, I'm trying to straighten it up more. Yeah. How'd you get into, we'll shift now to, to entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. When you looked at Columbia yeah. and getting your master's there, what was the thought process in, in first securing that opportunity mm-hmm. uh, and then seeing it through took a lot of endurance from my perspective, but yeah. go ahead on the opportunity first. Y- yeah. I mean, it was, uh, like you said, I, I just- It's no joke. Yeah, man. My, well, my goal was one game in the NFL. Like, and I tell people that and they think I'm joking, but it was like- that's where what the outside opinion shapes your your reality, because people were like, "Oh, you can't do this," and I'm like, "Yes, I can," but I never really be- like I believed I could, but not like on any real scale. Like I was hoping to be, like I- I'll give you a perfect example. When I was playing in Canada, my second year in Canada, I got I was hurt the first half of the season. I came back and played well, and they were trying to resign me to a new deal, and I'm like, "No, I'm going to the N- like I want to try. I've never got my opportunity at the NFL. I need to make this happen." Mm. And so in, in their quest to try to get me to sign a, a re-sign a contract and stay in Canada, I met with the head coach, Mark Tressman, who ended up being the Bears head coach. Mm-hmm. And he sat me down and he was, this was his attempt to talk me into the Canada thing. And he said, you know, listen, I think you can make a great living up here. I think you'll be a star in this league. And he's like, you know, if you go to the NFL, do I think you could play in the NFL? I think you could get there. I think you could be maybe receiver number six, five, Damn. special teams guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, in his mind, that was like talking me out of the opportunity to, to be like, yeah, that's all you could be. But don't you know that that was, he was the first person outside of like my immediate circle who ever told me that I could play in the NFL. Yeah. And so I'm sitting wow. there on the other side of the table like, 
what you think i could be a here we go you think i could play special team yeah awesome let's do it you know yeah. so it, it now just, i'm definitely out now i'm definitely right. gone and yeah. he had nfl experience so i trusted his opinion so you know my goal was to play one game in the nfl and once i got there and i got that and i, I and i promise on everything my brother will confirm this after my first year in the nfl i tried to retire i told him you know i'm done it was mm. awesome i can't believe i did it that was crazy time to move on and he talked me out of it like no man you should you can make some money here. You can get a pinch. And I'm like, really? You think so? You can get a contract. I'm like, you, you really think I'm that good? And so, but after that first game, my mindset shifted to, okay, this is going to end at any moment now. Yep. Like, I just felt like they were going to cut me any game, and I didn't want to be caught with my pants down. I didn't want to be caught saying what's next. So from then on, I started working towards the day that I, I left the NFL because I didn't expect it to last more than a year. And there it was seven years later, which is why I felt like I was so positioned when I got done because I had already been thinking about it, working on that process for six plus years. Yeah. When, when there's something out there that you want to get, like Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, like an introduction to Mav Carter, Yeah. do you have any specific way of going about doing it? Or you just tap on all of your friends, family, sift through a network a certain way, get online, ping yeah. people? I mean, you've gotten internships with the top media companies that have come to fruition now as you're yep. an influencer across the board with multiple groups on a non-exclusive yeah. with the end game of GM. But let's talk like networking hacks. How are you getting in front of people? Yeah, I mean, more than anything, number one is I want to be prepared. I, I, my, my biggest fear is getting an opportunity that I'm not prepared for, right? Because then that makes me look bad. That hurts my credibility and it's like a stain on my resume. So that's number one, being ready for any opportunity. Once I feel like I'm ready for that opportunity, and I, my goal was always to over-deliver. That was my goal in football. That was my goal in business. That's my goal in whatever. And I never wanted it to make it seem like I'm too big for anything. So I'm always going to start off with the internship. I'm going to start off with the smaller deal because I'm confident that I'm going to show and prove my worth. And then the ball is in your court to make things right. Mm. right? So when I do that, then it just becomes reaching out. Life hacks, whatever yep. it whatever it takes. I don't care. I'm gonna ask anybody. You know, there there were people that I at that I asked to to connect me to Mav, and it didn't. They didn't do that. Right. Right. And so that didn't stop. It wasn't like, oh, okay, I can't get to him. No, I'm I'm gonna get to him. I'm gonna exhaust literally every opportunity for anything. Like football was the same way. Like that's why I did what I did. Like I posed fake emails to get an agent. You know, and then sent my tape myself or staked out the Lucas Oil Stadium waiting for Jerry Jones so I can get on this reality show like if it's in my control I'm going to do it like the only way I'll ever move on from anything I want to do is that if I feel like I exhausted every single avenue and that's in networking that's in trying to accomplish a goal a dream whatever that looks like I'm going to give everything I can and try every single avenue street way there and circumvent whatever process needs to happen to get it done and then once if if I don't do that if I don't do it then which honestly it never happens but if I can't do it that's the only way I can never move on from something I feel I've already made the decision is worthwhile of me doing that's amazing stuff man thanks for sharing that staking out for Jerry Jones yes that that's that's a real deal that's what happened yeah that's a real deal how'd you figure out where he was gonna come out of that mess so even off <laughs> <laughs> so we were in um so after my senior year and I didn't know he was involved in Irvin's show. Yeah, well, it was the Cowboys show. So ah. Urban Show, the winner of the show, got to sign with the Dallas Cowboys. Ah. So what happened was I had spent the whole season out of football. Like I, didn't, I tried out for arena, CFL, NFL, nothing. So I went back to school, was living on my friend's couch because I no longer had a scholarship check, and I was coaching uh, wide receivers for Toledo, working in a factory, working as a caddy to pay the bills. And so we're sitting on the couch one day, and we're watching Pardon the Interruption, and Mike Wilbon's like, did you hear about this new Michael Irvin show? He's going to take 12 guys off the street and give them a chance to play for the Cowboys. So my boys were sitting there like, yo, you should do that. And I'm like, nah, man. You know what I mean? Then I walked upstairs, Googled the production company. Yeah, is this for real? Yeah. yeah, made, called them. They were like, oh, we got open calls here, here, and here and around the country. And I'm like, I ain't got no money to get there. Yeah. So you can send an audition tape in. So I went and made an audition tape, 30, sent 30 of them to them. I overnighted 10. I... Two-day mail 10 and regular mail 10 because I wanted to make sure they got it, right? So I had like my highlights on there, my Cleveland Browns workout, which I another thing I had to jump through hoops to get, um, and and me telling my story. They end up liking it. Like, yeah, we're going to fly you out for the the combine. The top 50 guys will come out for a combine in L.A., and then we're going to choose the final 12 from that. 
So in that, I had a uh, one of the players on the team was at the NFL Combine. My brother was getting into media. He was going to the Combine to cover it from a media aspect. If you're a college football coach, they let you inside the Combine to watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a college football coach, so... Here's my brother who's a 10-year <laughs> NFL veteran. He couldn't get in the – he had to stay in, like, this little media section. Yep. I'm literally in there with the G, sitting beside the GMs, coaches, watching every bit of the combine. So I'm walking out. Jerry Jones walks right by me, mm-hmm. right? But he was doing an interview, and I'm like, dang, I missed my opportunity. Like, I should have I should have shook his hand. I should have told him because I was literally flying from Indianapolis to L.A. the next day to trial for this Michael Irvin show to, yep. to get on the Cowboys. I'm like, I should have introduced myself. And I was like so mad at myself for missing that like once in a lifetime chance that we're both crossing each other because I didn't want to ruin this stupid interview. So I'm like, nah, F that. So I found a back stairway. I'm like, walk up this stairway. They had like a security guard on the other side. And I see Jerry Jones come off the elevator of the elevator he went up to. So I know what floor he's on. I know where his suite is. So I sat there in the stairway with the door like a very like one tenth of an inch not even cracking the door, peeking through it. So the security couldn't see me in the stairway, but I can see when Jerry Jones came out. When he came out, I was going to bust in, shake his hand, introduce myself, tell him I was heading to LA to travel for Michael Irvin's show and that I was going to be on the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to work, but maybe if he had the conversation, like, yo, there was some kid, you know, look out for him. If that hit, or even if I got there and I could have like a conversation started with Michael Irvin, like, yo, I just told Jerry Jones yesterday I was going to make this show and win it. So you better look for me. It might make him look at me a little extra, right? So I sat in this stairway. Security guard sitting right there. I sat there for half hour goes by, hour goes by, hour and a half goes by, two hours go by, three and a half hours go by. And my brother's like blowing my phone up because he's back at the hotel now. And he's like, yo, come on. Like you got the, I got the rental car. He's like, yo, I'm not sitting here waiting. Anymore. I'm like, just give me a second. He's like, no, let's go now. So after like three hours, I'm like, dang. So I jump in the rental car and I'm driving back to the hotel and I'm feeling horrible that I missed this opportunity to shake this dude's hand. And so I like said a prayer. I'm like, God, I was just trying to show you, man. I, I would have stood, I would have stayed in that stairwell for 24 hours if I needed to. Three days, whatever it took to wait for him, I was willing to do that because I wanted this bad. I pull up to the hotel my brother's at. He sees me pull up. He's walking like it's like a big glass door. I see him walking. He's like 20 yards. He's walking towards the door. He comes out. As he steps out of the door, a car pulls up in between where I pulled up and he did. Jerry Jones gets out the driver's seat, starts taking his wife's bags out the trunk. Like, that was my happening. eyes Fate. lit up. Yep. So I jump out the car immediately. Mr. Jones, how you doing? Andrew Hawkins. Hey, I'm, I'm flying to L.A. tomorrow. I'm trying out for the fourth and long show with Michael Irvin. Oh, you are? Yes, I'm, I can promise you I'm going to be the best player there. And I can promise you that you won't regret making sure that I'm on this show and win this show. Okay. I'll make sure I tell the playmaker to look out for you. That's what he calls Michael Irvin, the playmaker. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure I tell the playmaker to look out for you. Yeah. As soon as I got to L.A., I told the story to Mike. Mike kept special eyes on me. That's how I got in. Me and Mike are still friends to this day, and he remembers, remembers that story, man. But, you know, it just goes to show. Like, wow. when you want something, sometimes the universe has a way of making a path for those who know where they're going. You know what I mean? Yep. So. Whatever yeah, it takes. Whatever it takes, man. Simple wow. as that. Yeah. And it sounds to me a bit like some advice that, I, that I've heard recently. It's, it's not you can do whatever you want. It's mm-hmm. you can do whatever you can. Yes, and that that can is really important because it takes into account your your ability to put yep. thought into action. Yep. Yeah, and that's exactly what you've done. Exactly, man. And, and you and you execute. You graduated from Columbia. Yep. You're on the road to general manager ownership. Mm-hmm. I see that, but right now <laughs> you've kind of pivoted. Yeah. And and you're heavily embedded in media. Right. So we talked about your relationship with Mav Carter at Uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. You interned there. Mm-hmm. Now you're in a biz dev role. Yep. Uh, you launched a podcast just recently, mm-hmm. which is great. Yep. Um, and, and then, and the last piece is you're doing uh, Snapchat Sports Center stories, yeah. right, hosting, right? And so we were pulling those. I don't know who was hosting today. Uh, I, I don't know who was it. It might have been was it L? No, nah, do you remember who it was? I don't know Katie who it was. Nolan. Yeah, no, but she's good. Yeah, Katie's real good. Yeah. So, so couple of things. Transition into into media. Yeah. You're obviously really talented at storytelling, and you're very mm. cerebral and thought-provoking. I saw some rumors about Monday Night Football now that yeah. John Gruden <laughs> is coaching. Uh, but you know, is this a is this just something that you really enjoy, or has your yeah. career pivoted now towards being more camera-facing, or can can it be both? I think it can be both. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my, my goal with I mean, even in the the general manager space, like you know, sometimes people chase positions because of the prestige of the position, right? 
And I'm just at a point in my life where that's that's not me. So I don't want to be a general manager. Like, yes, I could have jumped right into a front office role because probably four plus teams reached out when I retired. Mm. So I could have jumped right into a, a front office role and, and shot, did what I had to do to, to climb the ladder, which I, I plan to do and I'm okay with. But my goal isn't to be like the young, hot general manager that everyone writes articles about. Like once I once I become a general manager, once I get into a front office and I learn the ropes, which I'm passionate about, I want to learn. I want to make sure that I know as much as I know and, and kind of couple that with what I already do know about the sport. But I want to win a championship. I'm not I'm not doing it for show. So if that takes till I'm 55, if that's when I become a general manager, I'm okay with that. If I'm 40, I'm okay with that. Like I'm there for results. I'm not there so everyone can write about, man, Hawk is the young, hot general man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the reason why I passed up on the front office position right away was because I thought it was important for my family to kind of take a step away from football in that capacity because my family will tell you I get very embedded and it's I don't want to say it affects my day-to-day but it does because I care about it that much like the stress of winning and losing and the stress of putting the work in and I become you know kind of consumed by this want to win and, and make things better or whatever I'm doing so I just thought it was important for my family to take a step away so they can kind of like this is a year I've had of like free of that stress. Yep. Right. Because it was it's kind of nonstop while I was playing. And I, and I know that once I go into a front office position, it's going to be much of the same. Uh, of the three roles in media right now, which do you mm-hmm. enjoy more or or what do you really like about yeah. the differences between being on camera with Snapchat, being yeah. behind the mic on your podcast or the behind the scenes work at Uninterrupted? You know, I honestly... I like them all. Yeah. I mean, probably if I had to pick one, it would be the behind the scenes work and mm-hmm. the and the producing of or putting together of projects and kind of, you know, influencing how strategies are done behind how people consume the media. But I, I like it all, man. And my thing was like, I love digital media because besides the fact that I know everyone says it's a new wave, but it is. It's how you reach people now and the opportunities to create uh, media and content and for people to... Like, I love to see, like, Instagram comedians. I love when they blow up. Like, that's yep. the coolest thing in the world for me, to see somebody, like, circumvent that normal process and still get to the same end goal, mm-hmm. right? And that's, like, that's what motivates me about the media stuff. Is it, No, it wasn't what I set out to do, but if someone's going to pay me to be me or people want to tune in just to see me be myself, yep. I'm all for that. Like, I don't want to actually go into a position where... I have to be somebody I'm not. Yeah, the, the it's fascinating technology and particular social and digital media yeah. and your ability to access an audience at scale immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a direct source of feedback, right? So we hear yep. back from our audience through the nature of the peer-to-peer and, and the responses and the, and the dialogue and the shares and such, what we're doing well versus what we're doing unwell. Right. And right. And then the last piece is just you know, being able to discover and uh, learn about new things. You mentioned the yes. com- comedians or going on Snapchat and looking at the discovery. As far as trends and what you're seeing across all of them, what do you think about these platforms in way of what you like more or less or where audiences are going? And that's with Snapchat, Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, yeah. YouTube. Um, if I had to pick one, I would probably like, it would be Instagram. Mm. Um, just because I feel like they're like the... They're the growing all, like wildfire. They're growing like wildfire, and they're the all-star version of all of them, mm-hmm. right? Like, they have the Instagram stories, which yep. is essentially Snapchat. Mm-hmm. They have the Facebook, like, the the pictures. and I think as it grows, like I said, I just think it's going to be kind of a mix of all of them into one, and everybody's there, right? Because Facebook tends to skew a little older at this point. That's right. Um, you know, Snapchat is very young. Mm-hmm. Twitter is kind of... A wide range and Twitter is my favorite to use because it's like where I get my news. Yep. Like when things happen, I love to search it and, and I'm get the people's reaction. I'm the same way. Like I don't I don't believe anything until I search it and everyone's talking about it on Twitter. Right. So that's my favorite to use. But I just think Instagram is like it, it just has a very good mix of everything where it has the older people, the younger people and the the news stuff. And I think as they continue to add it, it's just gonna be a conglomerate. What about managing your actual calendar and your time? We talked about yeah. hacks into network. You've acknowledged that your mm-hmm. bandwidth is stretched. Yeah. What do you do on a day to day? You do you use a specific calendar in way of a mobile app or how yeah. are you communicating with your wife and kids as you travel all over the place? Yeah, I mean my priorities really are my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. So that's if anything, that's what I kinda 
shape everything else around, making sure I'm talking to them when I'm traveling, obviously giving them time when I'm there. I have an assistant who does an incredible job for me and has really made my life a lot easier because I was juggling all this myself and there's so many different hats I'm wearing and so many different meetings and so many different conversations to keep going that I got to the point where I'm like, yeah, I, I probably need to put a team together. And um, so that that's made it a lot, a lot easier. But I don't have any specific technology that kind of helps me um, organize that or keep it together. With with your assistant or the people that you hire, mm-hmm. given who you are as a person and now beginning to manage others, yeah. both professionally and personally, uh-huh. what are some core attributes that you look to when hiring someone? I want you to like, I need people to match my work ethic. Hmm. You know? Lofty. Yeah, it, it might be lofty. But that's important. But it's important, yeah. right? So the people that I work with, whether that be my... My broadcast agent or my, my football agent, um, you know, people that work for me. Like, I, I just don't want to feel like, and this kind of went back to some of the teams that I've been on, but I don't want to feel like I'm working harder than everybody else, right? I'm not saying you have to match my ability to execute. I'm not saying you need to, you know, match my my level of intensity, but I can't feel like I'm working and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm good, and you're chilling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we all need to be, and I'm not saying... You don't get to not work or whatever. I don't, I don't even need you to, to work like I work. I need you to have the willingness to put it in the, the way I'm putting it in. And I can say, hey, you don't need to do this. I'm going to work this hard. You just execute what you're executing. Um, but that's why me and my football agent mesh so well because he was like me. Like, we're not taking no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we're not, we're not taking we can't do it for an answer. That's not an option. Like, it's mm-hmm. execution, period, yep. you know? Execution and grit. The last thing I'll ask you is around communication. You're a professional communicator. Mm-hmm. Um, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of open and vulnerable conversations that take place, yes. whether it's letting someone go or bringing on someone for the first time or a misstep or mm-hmm. a mishap, some type of conflict between sponsors or former leagues and partners yes. or whatever have you. How do you approach difficult conversations? You know, I, I don't like, I don't sell high. I don't sell low. I, I'm very candid. That's like what I'm known for. If you ask anyone who's friends with me or you ask anyone who deals with me on a day-to-day basis, I'd say exactly what I feel, how it is. Not like in a bad way. Like yeah. I don't, I don't, it doesn't come across rude or anything like that, but you're never going to wonder with me. Like I don't, like I don't, I'm not an unethical person. You know what I'm saying? And I don't use people um, in that manner. I don't sell you something that is false. I, I tell you tell you straight, if I'm upset, I tell you I'm upset. Mm-hmm. If I think you did a great job, I tell you you did a great job. If I say you could you could have done better, and I'll tell you you could have done better. And I think over time, sometimes it rubs people the wrong way. You know, because if you don't know somebody and, and then they're not used to that level of, of candor, mm-hmm. sometimes, it, you know, the relationship might not be what it could be, but I'm okay with that. Like, I don't want to deal with people that I can't be honest with. Because I, I want you to be honest with me. I don't want you to sugarcoat anything for me. I want you to lay it to me straight so I can fix it or figure out the issue. So that's how I am. And when you do it that way, you have clear levels of expectation that people aren't surprised at the end result because that's how athletes are. That's the good thing about you. That's a good thing about any of the athletes you talk to because they are used to expectations and measurements of success and metric, right? So it's not like you don't have to sugarcoat to, to Paul, hey, you know, you, you did great there, um, but you could do better. You know, it's not like yep. that because yep. I'm used to saying, hey, what makes a good season? 600 yards. Mm-hmm. Did I get 600 yards? No. Bad season. Simple as that. There's no conversation that goes into it. The coach can pull me in and say, you didn't play well for this reason. And I understand completely. Like, yes, I need to get better. I need to do like that's what the kind of people that I need around me because it just saves a lot of time. And then we can all be focusing better on the goals and objectives. If you enjoyed Hawk and my conversation, please be sure to let us know. Here's a quote of his that I have written down. Don't wait to prepare. Prepare now. The future is coming. Continue the conversation with us on social media. His Twitter handle is at Hawk minus at Paul Rabel. And be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with recently retired MLS star Cam Porter who last week announced Stepping Away live on our show, and many others. All of these episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please consider lending us a subscribe. Thank you. Shortcut to our show notes, you can visit suitinguppodcast.com. 
And of course, a special shout out to today's show sponsors, Mattress Firm and FabFitFun. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. We're going long on sports business with the CEO of HBSE. Included in that portfolio are the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils. Until then, have a great week, everyone.